Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So, welcome to another T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson and... Michelle Swithenbank. From Hull College Group. So, Michelle, I'm really delighted to have you on, Michelle. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Martin. I've been, uh, as you know, uh, for, for Hub listeners, we have a lot of Hubcasts on the Hub, which are recorded by me and Dave and Spencer and the team here at T2. And we talk about various topics from leadership to management to performance psychology. Uh, but every now and then we like to get a guest in. And we've done about, I think we've done about a dozen guest podcasts now from people in professional sport to the military to business leaders, etc. But I'm really delighted to have Michelle Swithenbank uh, on the show today. Uh, Michelle is the CEO um, or the chief exec and principal, is that yes. right? Yeah, that's of, right. Of Hull College Group. Um, we've done a little bit of work together. Where this stemmed from is Michelle uh, had a conference, an end of year conference in December for the Hull uh, staff at Hull College Group, which I was the guest speaker at. Um, and I loved doing it. It was a fantastic event. I spoke a little bit about the performance psychology stuff. It went down really well. But prior to that, Michelle had, uh, had got up um, as, as the principal and chief exec and, and spoke in front of the organization. And I was just very impressed. Oh, thank you. And, and I mean that sincerely. I was very impressed because the way you conduct yourself, your beliefs around culture, around leadership, around um, you know how you drive an organization forward from mm. culturally and from a performance perspective. And I was just itching to get you on and, and pick your brain. So we haven't prepared anything, have we? We have not. No, no, I'm in cold. <laughs> <laughs> this could go anywhere, but as usual with a T2 Hubcast. But I'm just going to ask you a few questions or, or um, you know, we'll, we'll steer some debate for the listeners, any of the leaders out there listening uh, around some of the stuff you do in that whole college group and mm. see if they can, they can uh, pick the bones out of it. But do you just want to give us a little bit more of a background to you, Michelle? Where do you come from? What, what have you done in your career before arriving as sure, the chief exec yeah. at Hull College. Um, so uh, originally I, um, I I was a college student myself. Um, so I always tell the students that every year when, when I meet and greet them that I was sat exactly where, where they are now, more years ago than I care to remember. Um, did my uh, back then an advanced GNVQ in health and social care, which is um, the same as like a BTEC now. I then went on to university and did my nurse training. And I spent a few years as a, as a staff nurse um, and got into development, um, staff nurse development and nurse development training. Um, and we were in a, a you'll probably recognize it, an era where we didn't have enough nurses. We were having to recruit overseas. Um, and in the, the particular field I was in, we recruited nurses from India and the Philippines. Um, and they were about six months short of qualifying to go onto our register here in the UK. So my job was to create a curriculum, create a course and train them for six months so that it brought them up to speed and we could register them and then use them as, um, as staff nurses on our, on our staff role. So I love doing that. I love that training and development and bringing somebody on and, and nurturing them and seeing um, more impact, really, because it mm. wasn't just about my passion for nursing. It was then teaching it to somebody else and seeing other people go out there and deliver. So was that, the, mo- was that the moment then you fell in love with the education Absolutely. side of things? Yeah, yeah. I, I realised, I, I mean, I joined nursing to make a difference. And, and, and people say that, but you are literally making a difference to people's mm. lives every day. 
Um, but when you're teaching somebody to make a difference to people's life, you're having a bigger ripple. And then when you're managing people who are training people to change lives, you're having a bigger ripple and so on. <laughs> so I realized the more strategic I got, the more I could weave in passion and enthusiasm for whatever I was doing. Um, but that's what got me into education and training. So I did my teacher training whilst I was doing that. Um, and then I applied for my local college for a lecturer's job. Uh, but then um, in uniform public services, they didn't have a health and social care contract. So I taught uniform public services. Um, learned but that, but how, that was an experience. It was a real <laughs> online learning, on live learning experience. Um, I had to learn all about um, how the RAF worked, the army, the police force, the, the fire and rescue service. And I worked with all of those multidisciplinary areas um, and, and, and learned with the students really for, for some of it mm. um, and loved doing that. And then I kind of just took on bigger areas and, and, and climbed through the different ranks within education from there from mm. there on. But one thing that's always stuck with me as I've always kept um, the, the students at the heart really and still now that's, that's what I love doing. I love presenting to the students. I love seeing them. I love talking to them. I love introducing them. Um, I love getting them back on the right path when that, when they go off mm. on a wrong direction and you have to bring them back in and go, come on, you know, book your ideas up and get on with your work. So, And am I right in saying that you've um, sat on the other side of the fence from an Ofsted position, uh, situation? Yes, yeah, I'm a part-time yeah. inspector as well. <clears throat> uh, I don't do so much these days because um, I don't like being away from my organisation. Not, not that they need me to be away. They, they can manage perfectly well without me, but um, I love being there, so I don't tend to do as much. And now leading an organisation like Hull College Group, does that give you a better perspective on how to run the organisation, knowing what is required from the regulator? Or do you think that that is just part of the equation? I don't want to say it's a tick box exercise or a few mm. boxes to tick, but um, has it given you any more insight into how to run the organisation or do you think that's the output and you focus on the inputs, if that makes I sense? I think it's a bit of <clears throat> both. It's part of it. So, yes, it gives me an idea. It certainly gives me an idea of what's expected of us mm. um, because um, not just inspecting, but I have to go um, on training days with the regulatory body. So um, I'm up to date as an inspector. So that gives me a really good insight into what's coming around the corner, what we need to be preparing for. So I can give my staff a heads up on, look, this is what's happening in September. The framework's changing. We're going to be inspected differently. And I might have the benefit of knowing that maybe ahead of some of other um, um, colleagues in the sector because I've got that training as an inspector but when I'm out in practice expecting um, yes I pick up some great examples of best practice um, but I think you can also pick up examples of how you might do things differently and why you might do things differently particularly me as a leader I've spoke to you lots before, Martin, about how you can read all the books in the world and you can spout the leadership talk, but it's how you live it, breathe it and behave yeah. it. And you've got to show it, mm. um, almost walk in the walk. Because, and, and the reason I asked you that question is because I work with many organisations from the military to emergency services, the NHS, fire and rescue, mm. the police force, education. And it is the areas where you are heavily regulated. Everybody's got their own regulators, but... It, it almost creates a culture of outputs, not inputs. Mm. So we become consumed by meeting the output or the outputs. So much so that as leaders, we forget to coach and manage the inputs required to achieve the output in the first place. And I see, and that for me, you know that I'm a strong believer in challenge and threat state. Mm. I believe in we have to induce a challenge state in organizations by focusing on what we want to achieve and not the threat state where we're focused on the consequence of what might happen or not achieving. Yeah. 
And I see it more so in education, in, in emergency services, in the military, where you are regulated, it, it, def it by the default, it drives the leadership into a set of behaviours which focus entirely on outputs and then triggers a threat state in the organisation. How do you combat that? I mean, I, you're very much, I get the sense, focused on the inputs of people Absolutely. And, and the outputs will come as a result. They do. And they can take time to come as well. So I've said to, to all of um, my staff that um, an inspection is, is a snapshot moment. It's, it's somebody coming in for one week, not knowing your organisation. And, and I see it myself. I go out there and I can't possibly say every organisation I've seen is definitely that judgment we've given them. It's what we've seen at that point yeah. in time, given the evidence <clears throat> we've, we've collected at that point in time. And your organisation's worth so much more than that. It's not just that week when you're regulated. It's what you do for your customers. Um, and for us, that's our learners and our students. So regardless of whatever grade anybody gives you, it's what are you doing for them? What lives are you changing? Um, and focus on, on that prize, not mm. the regulatory prize, because that's just something we have to navigate yeah. around. Um, and the other way I challenge it is to say to them, look, this isn't going away. We can't get away from the fact that we are judged on these things. That's not going to change. That's the con that's the context. That's the field we're working in. But how can we help you to achieve that? How can we work around it? What can we do to make things easier? Um, and I hold a regular staff consultative committee where I, I, they come to me every month and they talk about the issues that they're facing. Uh, they bring examples of best practice to me so I can share that with the rest of the organisation. Um, but we, we have it as a, as a talking shop as well to sort of like thrash out those mm. issues and say, OK, what do you, what can we do to support you in that thing? So if you're, if you're finding that your workload's too high at the moment because of what we're expecting as an output, because this is what our regulator wants, how can I ease that? What solutions can you give? me that I can help you with. Love it. <clears throat> Love it. And I'm going to say it because I don't mind being controversial at times, but I observe that in many different industries who are regulated by a scoring system or, or whatever it might be, I've seen organizations fudge the output. Now, you're going to, you know what mm. I mean by that. What I mean by that is when they become consumed by getting an outstanding or whatever the scoring metric is, we all know that in organizations, you can do certain things to, to make yourself look like you're in that, even if to the employees, it doesn't feel like you're anywhere near that. And I guess that comes down to the integrity and the honesty of the leader, the leadership team. Are we okay in saying that we're not there yet and we're here, but we're comfortable with that because this is the plan and here's what we're doing to Absolutely. do it, rather than the ones who want to look good, but internally in the organization, it doesn't feel anywhere near like it. And that's where you get disenfranchised cultures and employees would you agree uh, absolutely I totally agree and, and I think that's one of the first things I said to to all of the staff when I joined um, is look regardless of what we've been assessed at before this is not where we truly are this is where we are and this is what we need to to get to that next level and yeah. we're doing it together <clears throat> um, and that's the other thing I drive in the organization it's it's not a case of whose faults who's who's to blame for what's gone wrong who's at fault if something has gone wrong because it's it's natural an organization always um, has issues that you have to fix but that's the important word it's how we fix it together we're not interested in how it happened necessarily um, or, or whose fault um, it was it was about it's about let's all rush to the aid yeah. of whoever needs the support <clears throat> and the assistant to make that better love it and I, and I always have a saying and it's for any organization listening um you know, in order to influence culture and performance, right, you have to see your organization how it is, not better, 
nor worse. Mm -hmm. You have to see it how it is, right? And to see how it is, you have to strip everything back and be completely honest and say, well, if we're not there yet, but we're here, how do we get there, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes the leaders believe their organization is better than it is. And sometimes the staff think it's worse than what it actually is. It's just the nature of it, right? It's probably somewhere in the middle. But we've, in order to improve anything, we've got to see it how it is, not better nor worse, is, is my view. And, I think it's perception. Mm. Um, and perception's important. So one of the things we do as a leadership team um, is engage in a consultant that comes in every every year and speaks to a cross-member, uh, cross-section of staff um, at various levels um, across the organisation. Um, and gets their perceptions mm. on leadership and management, on strategy, on culture, um, because regardless of what we think it looks like or what the whole staff think it looks like, the perception of what it actually is is important as well. And that's like an organisational 360. So this is important because when we, we've we done exercises with organisations, Michelle, where we do cultural surveys, mm. if we just do upwards feedback survey, we're only getting a view from the ground. Yeah. If we just do it in a leadership boardroom, we're, we're getting what we think it is. So it's really important to Michelle's point to reach out to every corner of your organization and find out how it truly feels with the same type of questions, the same type, um, you know, of, of, of challenging, if you like. And that is going to give you a holistic view on, on an, as an average. Absolutely. I mean, I can give you an example. We've recently had some new systems um, installed at the college, which are needed, but they take time. We've probably um, put them in a lot quicker than we should have done, but we that was, uh, unfortunately, the time frame we were having to work to. Um, and those new systems will eventually, in time, make things a lot easier for the staff. But at the moment, even though we know the system's set up and, and, and the leadership team know what it's what it's about to do from the staff's point of view their perception is this has made things a whole lot worse because they're now having to deal with a hybrid of two systems together their perception is that the systems are chronic and it's Mm. not made any bit of difference Um, and it's and I know they know that and I know they think that because of the feedback that I've been seeking from them and that I've been obtaining from them but what that does it means as leaders we're then able to say okay I know that's how you feel at the moment this is how we can help you in the meantime and this is what it's going to look like down later down the line if we didn't get that perception from the staff that they still think systems are off even though we've invested all of this money in them they're not working yet um we wouldn't be able to bridge that gap yeah Um, and then that's at the point when you can end up losing staff buy-in we see this all the time where staff complain about a, a change program or a new technology or a new process and the leadership team because they bet the bottom dollar on it right they hang their hats on it they're going stop being negative you know this time they get on with it right but that appreciation to truly listen to challenges and not just bat them away and actually accept them and say, we're, we're in agreement. It's not perfect, mm-hmm. but it will be in, or it will get close to it in the future if we work together and we keep yeah. pushing forward. Okay, so I'm going to keep this moving because I want to ask you about a couple of other things. So we talked a little bit there around knowing your organization and culture and being honest. Because when I'm you've got a starting important. point and you know where you want to be, then we can start that journey. Um, let's talk about leadership mm-hmm. next. So one of the things that I know you've done is you've looked at the structure of your leadership team. You've looked at the people you are surrounding yourself with. Um, and I know you place an enormous amount of onus on strong leadership in an organization. Mm-hmm. I also do. I think we cast the cultural shadow. I think a dozen leaders can influence 500 or they can disengage 500 right (laughs) what what, why do you believe it's so important to get that element right and should you have leaders who are great at the job and knowledgeable so they become a leader or should you do you place more of an onus on the 
people and human mm. and element and they can learn the job. Because here's a big thing that we see, Michelle. Sometimes the people who are good at jobs get the promotion. So we've got our best people on the floor, so we'll make them the head of the department, but then probably useless for people, right? Yeah. So whereas you could get some great people leaders, they know nothing about the department, but they have people underneath them who do. Absolutely. So, But then you get the old adage of, but do the people underneath uh, leaders uh, find them credible if they don't know about the job, right? Where do you stand on all this? Um I think leadership is absolutely about people. Um, I think leadership and management are two separate things. So yeah. to manage, you've got, you've got to know your stuff because you've got to have that credibility to manage. Um, and as a senior leadership team, we've got to be a bit of both. We've got to be managers, but we've also got to be leaders as well. And it's separating those two out for me. Um, and for me, leadership is absolutely, for me, it's about how I behave, how I act and how I conduct myself because I can have all the team, all the strategy, all the culture in the world. But it's about how I, I live and breathe that as the head of the organization. Um, and if I'm not walking the walk, then none of it's going to sink in because people see me as the head of the organization, as leading that culture. Um, and Do you know what, you, you listen, you've made a really good point. And I just want to throw in for any listeners here a, a couple of definitions because people interchange the words leader, manager, leadership mm. like there's no tomorrow, right? You, you're, and we haven't rehearsed this. Have no, we? no, not at all. But you're, you're <laughs> no. absolutely in line with T2's theory. You know, management or the managers are there to ensure and manage that a set of process, tasks, and activities yeah. are achieved to achieve the outcome and the objectives of the organisation. Whereas leadership, for me, is when um, people start to want to follow, replicate the actions, attitudes, and behaviours of influential others. It's where they look at someone and go. I get it. I buy in. I want to be like you. I see the value of that. And and they want to follow off their own accord. And just because you are hold a position of command, authority or rank doesn't mean you show leadership. No, not at all. In, in fact, in many cases, you don't. Right? You get stuck in that management role. Um, whereas the people who straddle the two, i.e. they're very good at managing the process, tasks and activities required to achieve the performance. But people generally want to follow them and like them and observe great behaviours and characteristics in them, that's when you've cracked it, right? Absolutely. And have you focused on that in building your team then? Totally. So for me, um, I mean, I've, I, I've always said I surround myself with people that know more than me because that's that's what helps the organisation to drive and be successful. I shouldn't know everything. I've got a team that, mm. that know their speciality and know their subject and they should be allowed to the autonomy to get on with that and, and be their expertise in their area. Um so, yeah, for, my, for me, the team's been built up very much on are you the right cultural fit? So are you going to live and breathe the behaviours that I've started out and set as, this, as the chief exec? So there'd be no point me um, putting people as, as important and, and placing them as um, my, my motto is staff first, student, um, student first, staff always. Mm. So we put the student first, but it's about our staff always. Mm. And if the rest of my team aren't going to buy into that and haven't got that that personality and that drive to put people at the heart of it, then, again, it doesn't flow through the rest of the organisation. So when I was recruiting my team, cultural fit was one of the top of the list yeah. um, in terms of what I was looking for, as well as their expertise and their knowledge and their experience. Um, but I would have chosen somebody that I felt was more of a cultural fit for what we were trying to achieve over somebody that was more and knowledgeable that, and experienced. And that's in an organisation like yours, which is very academic and, and skill set based, right? So it's, it can be yeah, done. And it absolutely. fits in with Richard Branson's theory of, 
you know, people say to him, is, is the customer the king? Well, no, you, 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 yes, they're important, but if you treat your staff right, they'll treat your customers right. And yes, it's a similar it's principle a both, yeah. Similar principle with you. So you've gone heavily from a leadership capability on the, on the human element uh, and the character fit and uh, the mindset type, um, which has allowed you then to at least at the top have a group of people who are all heading in the right direction and believe in the same things. Absolutely. So I expect all of um, my leadership team to be doing back to the floor with me. It's something I started last year. Just explain what that Um, is for the listeners. So back to the floor is where we spend um, a morning or an afternoon or a day, a month, uh, working in another area of the college, uh, the organisation of the group with the staff. Um, uh, It started off as nominated um, and it started off actually with me wanting to hear from the staff directly because I came into an organization where staff didn't really talk to the leadership team much Mm. and I wanted to break down those communication barriers so I put out a staff survey and said right I'm going to come out and work for a morning with with a a team Um, who would you like me to work with Um, and the staff consultative committee put it up that I could either go with the library the uh, premises cleaning team um, or the nursery, and I started off with the premises cleaning team. I've yeah. since been with the nursery as well, and I, I, I've been was, out was every that, month. Was that a conscious decision, Michelle, to say, well, I'll start off cleaning yeah. because that is the obvious place to say, no, because you could have easily picked one of the others, right? But no, I'll start off, not that there's anything wrong with it, but you get my point here. I'll start off doing a little bit of the dirty work to show that I'm going to try and reach every corner of this organisation. Well, I, I didn't pick. That was three options put to the staff last year to say, where do you want the chief exec to go? And the go? staff picked, and the staff picked cleaning. <laughs> um, and I had a great time. I learned so much with that team um, to be able to talk to the cleaners directly, for them to tell me what their challenges were in their day. Um, no, I, I learned a lot. And I was able to then provide them with some equipment that they were desperately needed because they, they didn't know who to tell them where to go Brilliant. with that. So we achieved some, some key outcomes out there. But I did that every month. So since I've, I've been with a variety of teams and continue to do so, but I make that now a, um, a mandatory requirement of the whole team that to spend a day wherever hmm. um, learning other parts of the organization, living the life in other teams' shoes. Because then when you come together as a team and, you, and, and proposals are brought to you to consider, if you've worked and lived a day in the life of those different staff, you can understand it better. Yeah, love it. So leadership-wise, just to recap, because I've got one more area I want to ask you about. Leadership-wise, you you do place an, a, a large onus on senior uh, on the senior team having that human element, that the right mm-hmm. characteristics and, and behaviours that leaders need to display, all heading in the right direction. But what I'm picking up here is you've you've in your early tenure at Hull College Group, you've placed an enormous amount of onus on engaging your people early, yes. and saying it's not about us sitting in ivory towers. It's not about us getting together as a leadership team once a quarter and we'll send a newsletter out afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's about getting out there and engaging your people. And you know what, Michelle? Leaders say to me sometimes in organisations, I haven't got the time. It's so difficult. How am I supposed to get across 500? It can be done. You've got to make time. Because that's the example of when I say walking the walk and behaving it, there's a true example. Being out there, everyone says you've got to engage your staff or what better way than to show you're physically doing that? Mm. Um, the other thing I did was move us. We were we were up on the second floor uh, of an organisation. I've moved us down to the down downstairs ground floor. We're right behind reception. We're in the heart of the college, and we are visible and we're present and we're accessible. And that physical behavioural move to say we want to be part. We're not in an ivory tower. We want to be part of the team. Um, says a lot. It says a lot more than me standing up saying I want to be this kind of leader. I'm showing that that's Love what that. we want to be. Which brings me on to my third 
minute point, which will uh, for the last five minutes is proximity um, and infrastructure. Um, we have a section on the hub called uh, social and relationships in the wellbeing section. And what we mean by this is I'm a massive advocate and believer in as an organization, you have to create a social ecosystem where you've got the ability to connect with people and, and other people have got the ability to build meaningful relationships, whether that's down the canteen or whatever it might be. Um, you've already talked there about you've moved from the higher floors as a, as a, a traditional executive team down to the bottom floor. So right where students come in in the morning, yeah. you know, you're, you're there, you're visible, you're seen. How much do you believe that a layout of an organization from a infrastructure, from a proximity perspective and the ability, your ability to allow social relationships and connections uh, contributes towards performance and culture? I'll give you an example. Um, if you've got office and, and everybody's restricted sometimes to the space they've got, right? But where you've got lots of small offices, silo departments, finance sitting there, HR sitting there, the executive teams on the top floor, et cetera, et cetera. It can, it can, that physicality can create the boundaries and the silos. Whereas when you create a hub or when you create spaces and areas for people to come together and engage physically, for me, that does works wonders for, for driving a culture going forward. Was that part yeah. of your move and the reason you wanted to be on the floor? It was, it was for, for two reasons. Firstly, um, was to, to make us more accessible and visible um, because I have an open door policy um, and I don't say that loosely. I, I genuinely mean if staff want to come and see me um then they can come and uh, come and see me they, if they want to guarantee seeing me when I'm not in a meeting they book an appointment but generally if it fits um something that's really griping them I'll make mm. the time to see them so I generally have an open door policy so being in an accessible place where everyone felt they could come um and where we were before because that was a, a corridor that traditionally was associated with staff never entering because they weren't allowed to go and see the senior team at that time. I had to break that barrier physically. So by moving us, mm. it, it broke away to, and put a line in the sand to say, this is not the culture anymore. This is what we're doing moving forward. So I needed to break that that um, previous culture. So that was the first reason. Um, and the second reason was for better uh, multi-collaborative working. So within um, our offices, we don't all have our own office. There's some shared planned offices. Yeah. Um, and that makes better intercollaborative working. So rather than having to, to walk about finding one another or relying on emails mm. to communicate, we're now all in an office together. So we can solve problems together. We can drive performance together. We can work on our strategy together um, and, and make it more human. Because at the end of the day, we're, we, we were born to talk <laughs> and communicate, yeah. not send continuous mm. emails. So trying to, trying to facilitate uh, the, in the organization for spaces and areas for people to come together and meet face to face is really important. You know, I have this all, I have this this conversation a lot. This new wave of open plan spaces and 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 hot desking and nobody has a fixed desk. You just turn. There's an extreme to that which doesn't cater for the introvert who needs some space, peace, and quiet. But there's also it, you can't just go big bang and and say you know we're going to have a completely open space or we're going to have lots of small offices. Where I see it working is where you've got the private space when needed for confidential meetings or for introverts to work or whatever it yeah. might be, but where you can have what I call the canteen effect, um, which is an open space, a hub for people to come together, grab a coffee, and where you can interact creates a social ecosystem. And that in terms allows employees to build meaningful relationships and connections, which 
is categorically and scientifically proven to to give greater fulfillment uh, in the absolutely. workplace. Absolutely, and that, that's what we've tried to achieve with our area. We've got lots of breakout areas as well as a meeting room, and it's yeah. about utilising lots of space um, so that you're not stuck with the same mm. area as well. And in terms of, of restricted space, I mean, I had this initially when I first started. I haven't been able to move as until recently, so I'd been at the college a year before I could physically move the team. Um, so what I did to overcome that was took myself to reception. So I promoted and advertised times that I would be sat in reception with a coffee to talk to staff in Love an it. open environment um, to remove that office barrier. Love it. One more question. And you've got 60 seconds to answer okay. it. Okay. We're going minutes. A lot of people are listening to this podcast. It's fascinating. I could talk to you all day long, right? But a lot of people will be listening to this. And what one thing I feel passionate about is we have to start catering for the future generations in the workplace. Everybody talks about millennials. Millennials are already in your workplace. They're up to 37 years old, born after 98. Generation Z coming through, right? So we've got to get smart. We've got to start adjusting. People have more choice than ever, right? We can work from home, emergence of the digital world, et cetera. 60 seconds, tips for organizations and leadership teams. What should they be doing if they want to attract the generations of the future into the workplace and look 10 years from now? Um, I think flexible, flexible working is important. Um, I think focusing on outputs, not presenteeism. Yeah. Um, and looking at the other benefits you can bring because not everybody's financially orientated. It's yeah. what else can you bring to attract people to your organization? And that's what kind of leader are you? How flexible are you? How inspiring are you? Um, how do you cater for family life? Um, and, and being that that flexible um, in terms of, look, I'm, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to rely on your expertise and your input because that's what I'm paying you for and letting people get on with that and measuring the output, um, not just how often you're there. Love it. Absolutely love it. So that brings us to the end of the Hubcast. Michelle Swithenbank from Hull College Group. I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> thank you, you too. Thank you so much for coming in uh, and sharing some insights there on culture and leadership Uh uh, and talent and all of the great things you're doing a great job there and hopefully if i can convince you in a quarter's time to come back we could do maybe do something else absolutely look forward to working with you in the summer martin awesome thanks michelle speak to you soon bye